Welcome to episode 15 of Cutting Through the Noise. I'm your host, Hayley Mears, and today I will be joined by Clive Allwright, an industry icon who is a celebrated educator, salon owner, and co-founder of the tech platform Pillaroo. So Clive, thanks so, so much for coming on and having this really, um, this really candid chat with me. I'd like you to just give everyone a bit of an overview of who you are. I think that the majority of the industry will know you and your expertise. And I think a lot of the newcomers probably aren't as aware of you and your story. So if you want to unpack, who is Clive All Right? Sure. Well, thank, firstly, thank you. It's an honour to be asked to come on and it is great to see you again. And our friendship does span, you know, a couple of decades and, and some. So, you mm. know, it, this is, you know, this is lovely to be able to do this. And it's coming from a different angle as well, which is something that I'm very excited about. But, well, yeah, know. I think we've worked together three times, probably like probably more than that, actually. Like between the salon we worked at together, um, we were both working in London together London. for over. Yeah, 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 crazy. It it is crazy, you know, and that's what this this is all about. It's about connection, you know. Um, as as this episode goes on, you'll 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 discover that it's it's not always been roses. You've you've seen me at my worst and my best. Yeah. You know, and then and, and that's what we're going to unpack hopefully in this in this series. But sorry, this podcast. Um but yeah, I've been I'm fifty-four, I've been hairdressing most of my life, you know, since I was sixteen. And I was very fortunate to start my career by 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 a fluke with starting with Tony and Guy when it was just the original four brothers in two salons. You know, I started from the ground level. My my first stylist that I was assigned to was Dennis Langford. He has been a major, you know, um, mentor for me throughout my whole mm. life. And, um, and uh, you know, my by being with Tony and Guy, as it grew throughout the world, I got the opportunity to travel. I, I worked in Hong Kong for a couple of years. I then came, I went to Perth. Um, I met my, you know, my first partner. We had a daughter in Perth. And um, then Tony and Guy opened up in Sydney. I came up to run the school. I came across to Sydney to run the academy, which then led me into the world of product companies because I was working. I was the first educator for TG to be traveling around Australia, which is where I cut my teeth as an educator, really. And um, I came on the radar of KMS. Things um, progressed really rapidly with KMS. And before I knew it, I ended up in LA as their global creative director. And I was, you know, overseeing all the campaigns. My role was to put together an artistic team, a global thing. And, and I was traveling extensively to a lot of the countries that KMS distributed to, which, you know, I now identify was the beginning of, well, it wasn't the beginning, but it was a big contributing factor to what we're just about to talk about mm. in regards to, you know, um, my alcohol, you know, alcohol played a big part, drugs played a part. And, um, you know, an event, and then I met my, my now wife um, and I decided to leave LA and come back to Sydney where we work together again. And, yeah. um, and uh, you know, and then myself and my business partner, Kelly, in fact, you were involved in those original conversations. You were going I to was. be in business with us in the salon. I remember talking over our kitchen table, we were going to do this. And, and you wisely said, I'm going to follow journalism. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, you know, Kel and I opened the salon and um, we've been in business 13 years, I'm very proud to say. And, um, you know, throughout my time, I've been educating the whole time. I've, you know, the last few years I've been spent with Mark um, as a contractor. And, you know, education has been my, my whole life, really. So I've always, mm. I've always juggled the education side and the salon side. Um, certainly over the last 13 years and sort of until everything came to a head about four years ago. And um, when I guess you could say I hit my rock bottom. So, you know, that was a brief, I don't want to go into my, you know, my, my history because it's for those younger members of the audience are probably like, shut up old man. You know what I mean? But it's a, you know, it is a big part of my story. And I've been very blessed to work with some incredible people from around the world and be involved in some amazing projects. Like I went out for dinner with my co-hosts from the podcast that were just about to launch Straight Edge, the podcast. And I was explaining to my co-hosts, Sheridan Roshaw and Simon Doyle, you know, about my journey. And their jaws were on the table. They were like, wow, you know, I've been involved in some amazing things. So I'm very blessed. So tell us a little bit about the podcast that you're launching. How did it all come about? Um, You know, what, what was the catalyst that started it? What happened was four years ago at Hair Expo, it was a prominent thing in my life, you know. Um, I actually, I, I hit rock bottom. Well, I had a massive um, issue with alcohol and drugs, um, cocaine mainly, um, which yeah. I, can now, I can actually talk about without getting massive anxiety, but it's a big part of my story. Yeah. Um, you know, through it being a hairdresser through the 90s, it wasn't just, you know, accepted. It was almost uh, celebrated, you know, that kind yeah. of lifestyle. And, you know, and I've done a lot of work on myself over the last four years, and I've, I've realised that it all started back to a trauma that happened from when I was, from when I was 18. My mum passed away very suddenly which basically was the beginning of me running away. And um, and I found alcohol to be my best friend. But mm-hmm. not not long after I got sober, I think it was about a year, I wrote, I got asked to be a, a, a guest blogger as such for Hairbiz. And Linda Woodhead and Louise asked me to write, and they were aware of my story. And I was very brave, I think, I can say those words, I outed myself when I said, mm. you know, I wrote an article called Coming Clean About Sobriety. And I was only early days at the time, it was a year. But what happened next was phenomenal. I mean, I, I sat and thought about writing that article because even though everyone knew in the industry I was a big party boy, like no one really knew. They, the people loved to hang out with me because I was always yeah. fun, right? But they didn't see the other side of it. And um, I got so many messages, private messages. It was over 400 from people that were like, I too am suffering, or I've got a daughter that's suffering, or good on you for saying this. And, you know, this needs to be a conversation that needs to happen more. And this is so big. And and it doesn't have to be. It's not about alcohol and drugs. It's about anything addictive. Um, and it could be chocolate. It could be, you know, mm. food disorders, gambling. It could be social media. Like, we... If anyone's listening out there, and we just spoke about this before we came on, if anyone thinks that's not me, then, you know, have you tried to just plug your phone in the kitchen overnight and not have it near your bed? And the first thing you do in the morning is run to check your messages or run to check social. You may have a problem, right? And we don't realize these things until they're really on top of us. You know, addiction is progressive and so is recovery. And 
you know none of us set out to when I didn't identify as being an alcoholic at all I thought you know I'm I'm running the business I'm a father I'm a you know I'm a husband you know um I just used alcohol as a as a coping mechanism you know it was I, I saw it as the solution not the problem you know okay. like I would celebrate um or commiserate but I'm going off track but basically the podcast came about because three people reached out to me and they were different with different generations so there was Simon um Doyle who's in his 20s who's an amazing barber at Area Academy and you know he's 24 and he's um been in in a recovery program for a couple of years but he started drinking when he was nine and used his first drug at 14 and and his life you know got incredibly unbearable and uh, mm. to the point where he was going to take his own life Sheridan Rose Shaw uh who's got Mama West in Melbourne is in her 30s she's 10 years clean and sober but uh, I don't want to you know give too much away here but she ended up in a psych ward involuntary um from a very young age she she too found herself alone and you know we now we can talk about this because it's on the podcast but she was groomed by a pedophile from the age of 14 and we're talking huge repercussions as she's had to deal with and so this is not addiction doesn't discriminate it goes across all generations doesn't matter how much money you've got how much little money you have mm. we've all got shit going on in our lives and how we deal with that can be really varying and you know how many salon owners are spending so much time creating content but not realizing what our kids are doing you know yeah. and, and this, this has been the turning point for us during this podcast there's been you know, I've got a 12-year-old daughter. I know you have. How old is um, so your daughter Bill, now? Billy's nine. And so she's at that age where phones and social are starting to creep in and I'm just doing everything I can to push it away for as long as I possibly can. Yeah, good With, idea. Without being that parent that, you know, is the helicopter and gives my child, you know, no creative freedom. It's a really tough one. But 12 is, is harder. 12 is much harder than nine. You know, and one of the things that, that's come out of this is, is uh, I know Louise May was saying when we recorded on Saturday, you know, she also has got um, two children and and she was listening to Sheridan's story and she started crying and she's like, wow, just doesn't, just shows you how fast things can escalate. And as a parent, it's terrifying, you know, so it's not, we do share our own personal stories, which are brutally honest and confronting. Um, but the thing that we've realized is, is that this is, if you're a parent or if you're a boss that's running a salon with younger members, there's, there, there needs to, I think we need to take a, a step back and realize what's going on. You know, it's so many, I mean, if you're a parent, you, if your child's got Snapchat, which I know in my own system, like her young kids, um, they have Snapchat. Most drug deals are done on Snapchat nowadays. That's where dealers do it, you know? Yes. And, you know, while we're sitting there looking at plates of food on Facebook, you know, who knows what our kids have been. Well, I do now know it's been an education for me as well. So, you know, what I think this is, and I'm going to slow down because my ADHD is kicking in because, you know, I talk a million miles an hour. I've been an educator my whole life and I've inspired people by cutting hair. I'm too old to, you know, I'm not too old, but, you know, I feel that this is the next part I can give to the industry and hopefully make a difference because it's, it's it's something that I feel very passionate about 
because yeah. it it affects so many of us. I mean, when I got that that feedback from the blog, and I'm, I've written many more since, and you know the the messages keep coming, and um, so we've all got together and we've we've we thought right, how are we going to do this? What are we going to talk about? Are we brave enough to 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 out ourselves? Because one of the things we need to be wary of is the minute we put this out there, although the other guys put it out there you can feel like you've got a target on your back. You know, you'll be labelled and it's easy to be labelled and, you know, whatever. But we we see a bigger message here and it's interesting. Since we've started promoting the podcast, because it hasn't launched yet, we're going to, we're building up a back catalogue first so we could, we've got a bit of, you know, freedom with that. Mm. I can't tell you the amount of people that in, in big names in the industry have reached out to me and like, I need to tell you my story. And it's like, I, you know, I was talking to my wife this morning and I'm like, whoa, this is, <laughs> you know, we've all got shit in our lives. We really do, you know. Um, and so I think it's an important thing that we need to, to confront, you know, to, yeah, to talk about. So you, you mentioned before there was a time when you hit rock bottom and one of the things that I've always known about any type of addiction and I think it came from something my mum once said to me. Um, she said, like, sometimes you need to hit rock bottom to be able to build yourself back up. Like, it's not until you get to the lowest of lows that you can really identify that there's a problem. And do you, th- do you think that is true? And can you talk me through that? Absolutely. You know, and it is, and everyone's rock bottom is different. And I need yeah. to point out, if you, and, and I need to say this. You know, if you if you go out and have a couple of glasses of wine and, you know, and you you have the occasional hangover, then no, you don't, you know. But um, as I said, I don't know if I said this on this or when we were chatting before, but if you um, can't, can't stop doing something that you no longer enjoy, then you may have to have a serious look at yourself. My, mine was progressive. And what happened is, is as I mentioned, you know, when my mum passed away, uh, I, w- I went to live in Hong Kong and it, you know, I didn't have any family. I didn't have to be at Sunday roast. I didn't have to be, you know, I was running away and I could, I found a friend in alcohol and I didn't know. I grew up in the seventies, right? I, I didn't know that there was another way of dealing with things. If you were having a good day, you went to the pub, you know, if you had a bad day, you went to the pub and and back in London, you know, there was no internet, there was no phones. So after work, when we got our tips, we would all go to the Lamb and Flag or or the pub where Sassoon's would go and Tony and Guy would go, and we'd sit and talk about hair, right? And we'd be talk about the you know the account, you know, what was what was happening with the collections, and I found it incredibly inspiring. But it all involved alcohol, mm. and um, we'd do that every night. And so culturally, it was like in England, it was it was just like that's where we that's where we communicated was in the pub. And so alcohol crept into my life, but I didn't wasn't sleeping on a park bench. I wasn't homeless. I certainly wasn't alcohol dependent. So I didn't wake up and um, feel like I had to have alcohol. But what happened towards the end was it was every other day. I was either thinking about it, doing it or recovering from it. So it would be. You know, I've had a busy day. I'm going to go to the pub next door or go to the bar next door. And it just became, I'd stand in the shower most mornings with a full book of clients and have my hands on the wall and just like, I can't do this, you know. And I'd always turn up for work. Uh, 99% of the time I would turn up for work. And, um, you know, until Hair Expo came and I was out from Wednesday to 
the Monday night and, you know, every night. And then actually someone came up to me, a very good friend in the industry, and I was at an event and I wasn't in a very well place. And she reached out to me and said, are you okay? And I said, for the first time ever, I said, no, I'm not. And I'm really concerned that I'm actually going to die. And um, she, she was incredibly kind. It's funny how people come into your life. And she said, uh, Clyde, if you really need help, call me on Tuesday and I, will help, I, can, I can show you a way that you can do this. And I did call her. I mean, on the Tuesday morning, I was in this room I'm in now, in my lounge room. I was paralyzed with anxiety. Um, I'd, my phone was off. The curtains were pulled. The front door was locked. I had serious para, para, paranoia. And I called her and she said, Clive, you need to actually eat some food and go to bed. And we will do this tomorrow. You're not in any fit state to go today. Yeah. And, I, and she took me to my first meeting the next day. And I'm proud to say that I've never had a drink or a drug since, which is just over four years. Wow. Because I couldn't do it alone. I can't tell you, Hayley. I mean, I now identify that you know, maybe it was about 18 months before I actually, I said, well, I can't do this. I always knew that I was smarter than that. And I knew it was affecting my life in so many ways and my business and my relationships, my friends, Kelly, my business partner, my wife, my kids. It was affecting me on so many levels. Mm-hmm. And, I was so alone, really. And um, so I decided to get sober off my own back. And uh, I stopped stopped drinking, stopped drugging, stopped smoking. And I did 12 months. And I, I now know that it's called white-knuckling it. I didn't know how to do life without alcohol. So mm-hmm. I, on a Friday night, I would find myself going to bed at like 7 o'clock at night. And I was so unhappy. And um, I got through to a year. And, I, and it's funny because I look back on it now because all I thought was if I, if I do a year, I'm, I'm obviously not an alcoholic. And uh, all I was doing was planning my first drink. And we went on holiday. Obviously, you save a lot of money when you're not drinking and going out. And you know, we, went, we all went on a family holiday to Vietnam, met up with my sister and her kids. And, and I remember thinking, right, I've done this now. I can have a, I can have a drink. And I can't tell you how fast spiral, things spiraled. From that one really? drink, like within three days, I was awake all night. You know, uh, I I couldn't stop drinking. And they say it's textbook now, but once once you relapse and you go back, you quite often go deeper than where you were before. And I probably went through the next eighteen months of being very unwell. And to give you some idea, you know, I was one hundred and thirteen kilos. I was massive. I was morbidly obese. I, you know, my doctor had said to me, Clive, you've got type 2 diabetes, you're chronic, right? Your kidneys are, are leaking a protein, you've got high blood pressure, you've got high cholesterol, you are going to have a heart attack and it's going to end soon and very badly if you do not change your life. And I didn't listen. I was like, I thought I was bulletproof. And then, um, you know, once I got clean, once I got sober, I, I basically this this look at this Haley three days a week of being completely hungover. Once you stop that, I got half a year back, right? It's it's that ridiculous. And so I focused on my health. I focused on getting well. And four years later, as I do this podcast, I'm type two diabetes free. My um, in fact, I'm going tomorrow to get my blood results. And my doctor, my GP reckons he's going to pull me off my blood pressure medication as well. I've lost 28 kilos. 
you know. Wow. So basically, you could say that I've saved my life, you know. And um, my doctor actually said to me, he said, whatever investments you've made in your life, and there's not many because I've spent it all on drugs and alcohol, he said, this one, he said, is the best that you've done because you've probably saved your life. And so, you know, I didn't have any idea that that's what I was doing to myself. I just was in this merry-go-round, revolving wheel of, like, you know, I would I would promise myself I wouldn't drink on a Monday morning and by Wednesday I'd forgotten, you know. Yeah. And so that's really the, you know, it got, things got pretty bad and I didn't, I couldn't do it alone. And, you know, now my life is very different because, you know, I, I and it's funny because podcasts have been a big part of my recovery. Um, I've listened to many different podcasts. If anyone's out there listening, there's so many good podcasts, which really helped me. I, I started walking to work and I would listen to Danny Lee Grace. who has got the Sober Club or there's a guy. You walk- recently- <laughs> Sorry, you're walking from work from your place. Because I know where yeah, you live, well, okay. <laughs> and I know where, and I know where the salon is. Okay, wow, that's impressive. Yeah, you know, and so I listen to podcasts, and so there's so many people talking about stuff, and um, and I was like, right, this is really, really helping me, and um, and I figured there's nothing out there for our industry. So mm. collectively with my co-host, we what we do is we are we are basically interviewing people from within the industry or professionals outside the industry, psychiatrists and, you know, people that know about things that I have no idea. I mean, I can only talk about my own personal experience. Like I have had no idea about the dangers of TikTok and um, the other social media platforms or, you know, gambling to me was, was just crazy like I was like as, as some people would say to me like drugs absolutely why would you do that like I'm going to share a story with you right now okay. and that is a, I remember my accountant saying to me many years ago he said can I ask you a personal question and I said yeah and he said do you have a gambling problem and I went no and he said I said why'd you ask I said I've never gambled in my life like how dare you and uh, he said well you know you can tell a lot from people's lives when you look at their accounts and I said forensically and I said what can you tell about mine he said well I know for a fact you never drink and drive and he said I said really he said there's all he said there's always a bar bill and uh he said and then there's an uber or no sorry secondly then there's the bottle shop right he said then there's an uber and he said but this is withdrawals from the ATM at like 11 o'clock it's like 300 dollars and I'm like <laughs> oh yeah I was drunk and I decided that I'd buy a packet right and um he's like Clive you can't afford to do that and um he said and he said there was another one at 1am and I was like yeah I'm, yeah you know and blah 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 and and I was sit- sitting there thinking how dare you think I was a gambler? Like as if what I was doing was completely okay and, and completely normal. And it's like, that's the thing. It's like, you know, we, and one of the things that's come out of this podcast is, is that you may be just doing life really well, but you don't have any idea what people around you are doing, you know? And quite often they're the ones that are suffering in silence and, and you know, one of the things about addiction is highly is, is that I can't tell you the, the lies that I told myself or other people and the plates that I was spinning on a daily, hourly, minute by minute basis, because it was all so on a knife edge. Mm. Um, 
you know, and, you know, some, a lot of people have said to me, I can't believe you're going to do this. And I'm like, well, one of the things that's really prominent that I've learned in recovery is, is that if I talk about something, my life was so full of secrets, right? Ridiculous amount of secrets. And I've done some horrible things with some horrible people, including myself, and which I'm certainly not proud of. And, um, you know, I, um, you know, I don't, by speaking about something, I have power over it and I own it, you know. Mm -hmm. And I guess in a funny kind of way, by sharing my story, it, and it empowers me. And um, it also keeps me accountable. Like I said to the guys on Saturday, you know, once we do this, we got, we, there's no chance we're going to relapse. Cause, <laughs> you know, you can imagine being at the awards night and someone going, oh, that's the guy that did the podcast about being sober. Look at the state of him now. Like, yeah. which I know I'm only one drink away from failing, you know, because one's too many and a thousand's not enough for me. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah, it's so, I guess the point, that was a long answer to rock bottom, you, but we've, we've all got our own rock bottom. Do you ever have the urge or like, is this something that you have to fight or you're just so good with it now that like there is no desire whatsoever? No, you know, and, and that's a great question. The, 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 the first answer is I, I, I hope that nothing in my life gets that bad that I feel like I need it. I have mm. to fast forward. The, I have to forward the video in my mind to where that will get me. And that stops me. Like, don't get me wrong. I would love her, you know, to go and have a beer or whatever, but you know, thankfully, I mean, I am one of the few people that can drink non-alcoholic drinks and I have one or two and that's fine. You know, I drink them like most people drink responsibly. And, but that's probably once in a blue moon, like I'll do that. But, you know, it's not the, um, where do we go with this? You know, it's, fast forwarding the tape is a, is a big thing, you know, um, of where it will end, get me. But, you know, it's, it's it's yeah it's not an option for me anymore i hope mm. that it's um you know it stays there i mean yeah it's just it's too much carnage i was going to yeah. lead into something there but i got sidetracked sorry <laughs> yeah. i um i gave i've given up alcohol in two different periods this year and for health reasons because i just wanted yeah. to be really really healthy i wanted to yeah. fo focus on my yoga so i did 3 months from january to march and then yeah had a great holiday in Bali, celebrated my husband's 40th, and then three months later was my 40th. So then I had another three months sober. So I now understand what the sober curious kind of movement mm. is. And I listened to a really great podcast um, with Sarah Jane Clark from Sass and Bide, and she talks, mm. I don't know if you've ever listened to her speak about um, her sobriety and sober curious. No. And I thought it it taught me so much and not until I'd had those massive breaks from drinking did I really appreciate and understand how much it became, you know, habitual. It became um, an, like I did not think I was using it to calm anxiety whatsoever. But once you've stopped, then you can see that you actually know I was doing that. So it, it's been incredibly powerful and I would just highly recommend it to anyone if you think you can stop drinking, then that's great. You probably can, but actually doing it is a totally different thing. You learn, you learn a new way to live, Hayley, you know, and the thing is, is that I remember, you know, you, you, you have in your first year of sobriety, you have a lot of firsts, 
You know, you have your first Friday night sober. You have your first Saturday night sober. You have your first birthday sober. Mm. Your first Christmas, you know, and it's like all those people go, but you are going to have a drink for your birthday, right? And it's like, uh, no, I can't. Because, mm. <laughs> you know, I, it, it just wouldn't end well. You know, you really identify that it's the one drug that we all have to make excuses for. You know, it's like, I've stopped drinking. Really? Are you okay? What's wrong with you? You know, if you sort of said, well, I've, I've stopped doing cocaine or stop, I've stopped doing heroin, I'd go, oh, good on you. You know what I mean? It's, you know, so you've got this society that, and it all looks so pretty, doesn't it? The alcohol industry has really targeted women as well. Like, you know, the Aperol Spritz, the Prosecco, the, the Mummy Wine Club, mm. all that stuff. I need, you know, get, get the kids to bed, I have a glass of wine, you know, um, a pin, you know, it, it, it's it's such a big part of the I mean, we're doing a whole episode on the mummy wine culture you know it's um it's that you might just have two glasses a night but you know you're not firing on your optimum you know yourself and you get short with your kids and you get you know i mean that's one of the things that i can honestly tell you like my daughter my youngest daughter's 12 and she's seen me drinking she's seen me four years sober and she said to me Daddy, I hope you never drink again. She said, because, you know, not, you know, she said, you were a lot of fun when you were drinking. You had lots of people around and there was, you know, I used to DJ, as you know, and you know, lots of, she said, but I always used to end up putting myself to bed because, you know, you never read me a story. And, and that really cut me through to my yeah. heart, you know. And um, as I say, like I got so much time back and so much quality time with, you know, and, and I'm going to be honest as well. I don't need drugs and alcohol in my life to create utter chaos, right? And I've learned that in my four years. I can be equally as nasty and as mean and as, as you know, and my own self-obsession without it. And that's what recovery is all about. It's identifying who I am as a person, the defects in my character, and how I can act out upon certain situations. And I'm tr I'm trying daily, hourly, to become a better person. And I can't change the past, but I can change who I become. And you know, I've I heard a great saying which was resonated with me, and I say it, and I've said it in many of our episodes. And there's this Daniel O'Reilly that does Menace to Sobriety podcast. It's brilliant if you haven't heard it. He he said I would ch I choose days with my daughters over nights with my demons and I'm like that is really that hits it on the head for me because mm. you know what starts off as a drink you know um doesn't end well for me you know and what you know what people didn't see towards the end was you know the opposite to addiction is connection and that's what this this podcast is about we've all connected because we've got a common ground and it's the yeah. same as when you go to the pub you know you connect with the same people because you talk the same shit and all that kind of thing but what what you didn't see most people didn't see at the end was what started off as a social situation towards the end ended up with me in isolation i would be sitting in this house drinking alone everyone would be in bed and maybe using drugs whatever it may be alone and i would be crying and go, why can't I stop? Why can't yeah. And I knew that what I was doing, you know, I listened to a podcast yesterday and the guy was talking about, he used to cry on his way to his dealer's house. And like, you know, and if anyone doesn't understand addiction, then then you realize that it's not a choice. Um, you know, it's, it's something, sorry, my phone is ringing, excuse me, sorry, I can't talk right now. 
Um, and, you know, it, it's, it is a choice to stop drinking and, you know, it is a choice to have that first drink. But once it gets hold of you, it's, it's you know, it's like anything, you know. And it's still, it's still that, that gene is in me, you know. So um, I can, you know, as you know, I, I took up ocean swimming and, you know, and obviously getting really healthy and that I can do in excess. You know, you know, my wife can turn around to me and say, Clive, you just do everything about you. Like, you know, you're like, we, what, you've been swimming this morning, you went gym this afternoon, you were at work all day yesterday. Like, stop, mate. You know, like, you need to be here for us. And I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, there's that addiction thing going in again. I've got to do everything in excess, you yeah. know, and at the cost of people around me. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a spiritual program. And it's one that I'm learning so much about myself, you know, um, and it's confronting. It's really, really quite, um, yeah, it's, it's just confronting to see who I do, am sometimes. Do you think, you know, you started this journey to sobriety and then was it around that that same time that you took up ocean swimming? Or did you think that you needed to, ch- you know, have something to channel your focus to, um, or or something to restart new healthier habits at that same time, or did they did the two overlap? It's true. I mean, and I do joke about it. I still drink the same, but it's salt water, right? <laughs> or chlorine. <laughs> you know. I mean, what happened is, Haley, as I mentioned, I got so much time back. You know, Sunday mornings, like Sunday morning when I would be hungover. I'm, a, and one of the things is, I used alcohol to sleep. You know, so when I first got sober, I couldn't sleep. I was awake at four in the morning, you know, and I was like, fuck, ah, this is, what What do I do? And a, a good friend of mine reached out to me and I was, as I mentioned, I was massively overweight. And he said, Clive, you can't go to the gym. You can't, don't even think about running. Your knees will shatter, you know? And he said, I'll teach you how to swim. And he, he said, can you swim? And I was like, I can swim 25 meters like a frill neck lizard, like typical pom. And he was like, <laughs> and he was like, I'll teach you to go up and down the pool and it's all about breathing. And he said, and you'll be able to go up and down all day long without getting out of breath. And I was like, that really incited me because I thought no one's going to see me in the water because body shame, you know what I mean? I'm getting in there like a hippo, you know, and um, I'll, I'll focus on that. And I progressed from the pool. I went every day swimming and I, you know, I started off with doing a hundred meters and it progressed. And then, and then someone taught me, told me about a program called Cantu, which is a thing you can do, learn to do ocean swimming. And being a pom, I've never been in the ocean. I've never been in the ocean without being able to touch the bottom. And I was Mm. petrified of it. And in a bizarre kind of way, it was almost like that fear of drugs and alcohol was like, right, I'm going to overcome a fear with with the ocean. And um, I found something that... It enabled me when I'm swimming, I can't, you know, as you can tell from this podcast, I can talk underwater with that, <laughs> but you actually can't when you're swimming, right? And um, it enables me to sit with my thoughts. And I can sometimes get in the pool or in the ocean with the weight of the world on my shoulders of like, how am I going to work this through? What's going to happen with this situation? And I'll start swimming and I'll get out at the end. And most of the time I've got the answer, um, you know, and it gives me something to, to look forward to you, you as you well know from the background that I had when I came to Australia one of the biggest crimes I think I did was I'm so much more comfortable on a Sunday morning in someone's flat in Surrey Hills with the curtains drawn talking to a <laughs> bunch of strangers about a load of shit that doesn't really matter because I feel like I'm you know I'm a, I'm a big man in there 
I never went to the beach. I never went to do things that you do in Australia. So to go to meet my swim group on a Sunday morning at eight o'clock at Coogee to swim across the bay or out to Wedding Cake Island is the adrenaline that I need. I need to keep myself, I need excitement. And I find it it's, it's terrifying, but at the end of it, I come back and I just feel so alive. And, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a big part of my recovery. I think you've all got to find something to replace the time with the time that I spent drinking um you know is or recovering is now time to put to good use you know so yeah I I I, I totally relate because even my yoga teacher was saying something this morning it's like all of the thoughts that you had that were so urgent that you came in with like park them and just breathe and in five minutes later I promise you you will have forgotten them and he was so right mm-hmm yeah, I, I mean, yeah, no, 100%. I mean, like, we, we, we our brains are so crazy, right? I mean, mm. and the thing is, is that, I mean, I, I have to tell myself, I didn't give anything up. I got everything back, right? And that's what we really need to remind ourselves about is, is that I get my life. I mean, I have a, I have a memory of being, actually, I'm going to, different story. When you wake up your daughter in the morning, when she's, you know, the age she is now, there are mornings when she's like, mom, puts her arms around you and she's so gorgeous, right? There yeah. are days when she gets up and she kicks you and she's like, nah, so, <laughs> I don't want to get, no, she's not got a hangover, right? That's, she's doing life on life terms. And some days she just wakes up on the wrong side of the bed, right? And that's what happens when you're sober. You, you, but you learn to deal with those thoughts. And, and I've just remember what I was going to talk about. That voice that used to tell me, fuck it, go to the pub, Clive. And I used to press the fuck it button all the time, excuse me for swearing. Soon developed into fuck me button because it was like I would just not stop until I was absolutely destroyed, mm. you know? And that, that voice that used to tell me to do that is still there. But what it tells me now is it's like your life's not going in the same direction that it, used to, that it should be going in. You know, you're not in the right house you want to be in. You know, what, you know you're not driving the right car. You know, where, where are you going with your career? That inner voice is so loud and it can really affect all of us. And we go, oh, I can't cope. I need a drink. I need a glass of wine. You know, and so I've learned now to turn the volume down on that voice. And the other thing that we really need to talk about, the elephant in the room, is that we deal with 12, 10 people a day. And we're not trained counsellors, right? So when we, yeah. you know, someone's just coming in, they've had a baby, someone's lost a baby, someone's got a new job, someone's just been made redundant. Every hour or 45 minutes, the stage gets reset and we have to shake that off and be the smiling face. We can be so good at multiple personalities that when we get to the end of the day, who wouldn't reach for a bottle of wine? And go, fuck, what a day I've had. Like, you know, I feel like, I joke and I say some days I feel like I've done 12 episodes of Graham Norton, you know, like <laughs> different guests every hour. And yeah. I'm like, I need a drink, you know, as where now I go, I don't. But that voice is very loud. And we all talk about that on the podcast. We've all got it, you know, and it's that insecurity. We really, we've all got, you know, what, what do we look like? What do we, you know, what, what, what do we, what do we, how do people see us? And there is, I guess, there's a big, many, many layers of the onion. And by doing this podcast, it's the bare bones of who we are. And I think, as Brene Brown says, the vulnerability is the birthplace of courage. And that's what we're doing, you know. 
I'm I'm so excited to listen to the podcast and to hear everyone's stories. I know they'll probably really be confronting, um, but at the same place, at the same time, I guess what you're saying is you're opening up a forum to let everyone in the industry know that this this is something that happens. It's there's networks and support tools that you can use, and so um, I will put some notes in the show notes just so everyone can connect and follow and subscribe to your podcast so that as soon as it comes out oh I'm I'm really proud of you Clive like I think I think the world of you I always have um and you've been a really amazing mentor along the way I think you've been one of the most fun people that I've ever worked with (laughs) (laughs) thank you that's for sure um and I'm and I don't don't think any of that um, that joy that you brought to the workplace was in any way related to um, alcohol or drugs. I think that that was purely you. So, and I'm sure that it will continue to inspire people for such a long time. So, thank you so much, Clive. No, it's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, you know, thank you for getting me on. And uh, you know, it's interesting because if we if we even we think back to all the different awards nights that we go to anywhere around the world, you've only got to look and see how many feet are under the cubicles when you walk in there to realise that this is bigger than you imagined. And <laughs> some people would be, and if some people would be absolutely mortified and shocked to find out, but it is happening all around. I mean, domestic violence is on the on the increase. There's been a 25% jump in alcoholic alcoholism since COVID. You know, and um, the signs are all there, right? That, you know, you cannot get in a rehab center in Sydney right now for three months. They're booked out. So COVID and its knock-on effect is people with isolation, people drinking alone, people online gambling, whatever it may mm. be, it is amongst each and every one of us. And I think, as I, and I want to finish on this, and that is that if you do nothing, if you think it's nothing to do with me, and if you've got children, just think about what they're going to be exposed to. I mean, I go to meetings every week, right? I have to, because mm. it's my way of processing. But when I when I listen to most women share, there's a common thread. I, I didn't fit in at the age of 14. I went to a party. I didn't know that you shouldn't drink the whole bottle of vodka. I, I blacked out, but I loved it because I felt... Like I was the life and soul of the party. I, I, I connected with people. You know, we know that at 14, there's so many changes going on hormonally in our kids' bodies that, you know, their boys come on the scene and all that stuff. And alcohol is a massive social lubricant that's accepted. I mean, schoolies, for instance, it's terrifying. You know, I mean, it's like you think about all the issues that we've got in my, you know, in our lives and you think, as, as adults that run a business, run a, you know, run a family, and we go, oh, shit, we're having a tough time at the moment. I know what I'll do. I'll go and fill myself with ethanol and drugs because that will help. <laughs> you know, it's bonkers. Right? It is. And, you know, so and, anyway. And, well, I, something I'd love, um, I don't know if you know anyone on your team that could possibly speak to this at some stage. I would love to know because the the drug culture that I see now is very different to what I was exposed to in my 20s and my 30s. So, for example, um, yeah, with my daughter being nine, and I know she'll head off to high school, but it will be, it's all about the vaping and the edibles. And it's just not something that I've ever been exposed to. And I don't know anything about it. So I think, you know, as parents, it's our responsibility to get educated, right? Kids are vaping from a ridiculously young age. We're talking about Mm -hmm. sucking on a battery that's come in from China that no one knows it's in it. Well, you know, but I won't do ice. 
is you go to you know regional Australia, ice is insane. I mean, it doesn't even around the streets of Sydney, it is everywhere, you know. And on top of that, there's a pub on every corner, you mm. know. So you can, you know, there's always a place where you can go to, you know. It's so easy to change your mood with little effort by having a drink or or taking the drug or smoking or whatever, but it takes a lot of effort to, to get sober mm. and um, and to stay sober. Um, you know, it's, this is the hardship. But um, you know, and that's one of the things I think I, when it comes to our own children, we just need to be really on top of what's going on, and you know, they will find their own path. You won't, you know, we can just hopefully guide them and educate them into the dangers of of what's out there you know vaping's huge you know yeah. it's, it's, and it's so accepted it's just crazy even my cardiologist said to me because oh he's irish and he went clive for god's sake what i've been seeing on the on the stats of vaping he said if you ever have the if the inclination he says for fuck's sake start smoking cigarettes the better for you i mean there's a cardiologist like well i was like ah oh, fuck okay you know it's all out there so thank you Haley. No, thank you. Um, And like I said, all of the information will be in the show notes and I will connect everyone to your new podcast. So thanks again, Clive. Thank thank you very much, darling. Cheers. Take care. Cheers. Cheers.